0: I listened to the first presidential debate. I listened long enough to know that it was going to be a raucous event. Uh, In fact, I found that out within the first few minutes. I I listened less than 10 minutes of the debate. And it became very evident very soon that these two men do not like each other. Uh, If you're trying to, to take away from the debate, one of the things I think you can take away is that these two men do not like each other. And so if you did watch it or if you've seen previews of it or if you've heard uh, snippets from it uh, or or whatever, I want you to take the tension and feelings that were on display this past Tuesday evening, take those tensions and feelings, transport them back some 2,000 years to a certain Sabbath day, and you find the same kind of animus being directed at Jesus by the religious leaders of that day. In fact, the hatred of the Christ of the Scriptures, is still proudly displayed today. Uh, uh, Not just our culture, but, but cultures all around the world, kingdoms and citizens of this world, they loathe Jesus. And that hatred of Him is manifested upon those who identify with Him. Persecution is not going in the downward direction. Persecution is increasing all across this world and in many nations around this world as it relates to those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. The world does not like God. They do not like God. They do not like His Word. They don't like Christians. And let's be honest. Many times, I don't know about you, but I struggle to like them. I struggle to like those who... Promote things that are clearly against scripture, as what the scripture has to teach. It's hard for me to like those who uh, defame and mock Christ and defame and mock those who believe him. It's hard for me to have passion and compassion on those who persecute our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's hard. I can remember one particular instance, one time when. Uh, I was at the gym, and and uh, uh, a certain person's face came on the screen as I was uh, on the treadmill, and my running, my heartbeat went up. Uh, and it wasn't because of the running. Um, it, just the fact of, just the, the the strong feelings, almost feelings of hatred uh, towards individuals that do not, uh, ha- have no qualms whatsoever of, 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 of uh, 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 defaming and 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 persecuting those who may not who, who who know Christ as their Savior, but how do we respond? How do we respond to the rejection and hatred of the world? It's out there. And again, I, I'm not somebody that sees hatred under every rock, or persecution under every rock, or because uh, the city made us. Uh, came back and made us do certain things when we were building this building that somehow they are anti-Christian because uh, there were certain things that they required of us when we were building this building. Uh, I'm not the kind of person that that sees that every time we're asked to do something that somehow it's anti-Christian. But also on the other hand, it's foolish to say that it doesn't exist, that it's not out there. So how do we respond to it? How do we respond to it? But just as important, what we'll also see from this text is the potential consequences for those who refuse to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Well, our text this morning we found in the previous verses as we've been making our way through Matthew 12. The previous verses unpack for us a battle royal. Uh, It is a verbal battle uh, regarding Sabbath observance and what is allowed and not allowed on the Sabbath day. If you recall, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they think that they are the arbitrators of the Sabbath tradition. And they are incensed by what they perceive as Sabbath violations by Jesus and His disciples. How dare they go through a field and pluck grain? How dare they do that? How dare Jesus, in fact, they're wanting to set Jesus up how, how the audacity that Jesus has to heal somebody with a withered hand when that withered hand is not a life—it's it, a non-life-threatening uh, infirmity. Uh, the Pharisees had no problem with you uh, saving life uh, on the Sabbath day, but if it's but if it's if it's non-life-threatening, you wait until the next day to do it because if you do it on that day, it dishonors God. And and how how how, did, how what, who does Jesus think that he is that he would he would not just take the time to do it but do it so openly uh, openly and do it so publicly and, and do it kind of almost like an in your face kind of thing that he would take and heal this man with a withered hand but as we saw in those previous verses Jesus without any doubt Jesus unequivocally unequivocally is letting them know that he's not not saying that he's the arbitrator of the Sabbath like the Pharisees are claiming. Jesus is saying, rather, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. I don't arbitrate the Sabbath. I decide. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And not only is he the Lord of the Sabbath, but in those verses we found out that he is the God of mercy. Remember in verse 8 he says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus isn't, isn't uh, uh, making the statement, hey, I'm the arbitrator and you're not. Jesus is saying, you think you're the arbitrator, but I'm telling you who I am. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, in the first Sabbath conflict, Jesus used the power of the written word to state and prove his case. He used the example of David uh, when he went and, 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 and uh, uh, ate of the, uh, uh, the showbread. He used other passages of Scripture from, from the Law and the Prophets to, to show that the Pharisees' thinking was, was faulty thinking and that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. In the sec- and that was the incidents that relate to the plucking of the grain. In, in the second Sabbath conflict, which involved the healing of the man with the uh, with, withered hand, Jesus confronts the Pharisees through the revelatory and restorative power of his spoken word. By His Word, He reveals to them the own hypocrisy of, uh, of their hearts. And by His Word, just as God created... Uh, again, it takes us back to, to, to the book of Genesis, where where God takes something that is broken and restores it in Genesis chapter 1. We find that Jesus does the same thing with that man in His hand. He, re- he restores it through just by speaking it, and, and it happens. And you would think that the Pharisees' response to the authoritative written and spoken word of God, would be one of all, one of worship, one of bowing down to Jesus and recognizing His authority. Yet we read earlier in verse 14, the response was, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against Him, how to destroy Him, or as the Net Bible translates it, how to assassinate Him. And two weeks ago, we talked about the, 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 the uh, uh, finality of, of the words that are being used there and the fact that the die, we use the illustration from, from uh, uh, Caesar when he crossed the Rubicon uh, and, and uh, River and the fact that he's reported to have said that, that the die has been cast. Uh, once you let go of the dice, destiny happens. You can't take it back. You can't take the roll back. And basically in verse 14, the die has been cast. The Pharisees, that's it. That's it. There's no hope of them turning in repentance to Christ. Their only thing that they want, the only thing that they desire is to get rid of Jesus, to kill Him. And in the face of that kind of opposition, in the face of that kind of disrespect, in the face of that kind of hatred, what's Messiah going to do? Is He going to crush them? He certainly has the right to do so. Will He get in their faces? Will He give them a tongue lashing? Well, verse verse 15 gives us a very familiar pattern of ministry found in Matthew's Gospel. When the tension is felt, when emotions are boiling over, and when opposition is fierce. Look at verse 15. Jesus aware of this. He knows that the Pharisees are not responding positively to the message that Jesus has spoken to them that they are not responding to His claim as being Messiah, that they don't want anything really to do with Him. They want to destroy Him. They want to annihilate Him. They want to kill Him. Jesus is aware of this, and it says He withdrew from there. And many followed Him, and He healed them. Jesus is aware of this. He's aware of the opposition. He withdraws, and He continues in ministry. And that's the pattern. You have the op- the pattern of opposition. When the opposition is fierce, Jesus instead of getting them, now that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't confront them. He, he he confronted the Pharisees. Jesus was Jesus didn't mince his words. Jesus, Jesus wasn't uh, being uh, uh, plain. Uh, he wasn't taking his words and hiding them and, and so, so that they uh, nuancing them in such a way that they wouldn't know what he meant. Jesus was playing. I'm the Lord of the, the Son of Man's the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus basically said, "This is you know, as, as it's, I don't say, I guess in Texas, how the you know how the cow chewed the cabbage." You know, I mean, Jesus, Jesus just he gave it to him straight. He gave it to him straight. He didn't back off, but yet when the opposition was fierce, Jesus cho- chose to withdraw, but he continues his ministry. We see that in the Apostle Paul's life as well. When you read the book of Acts, Paul goes to a city, he begins gospel ministry, he faces fierce opposition, and the majority of the time, he leaves, and he leaves, and he leaves and he goes to another city and starts ministry there. And then, in some of those cities, he faces fierce opposition, and he'll withdraw. Now, not all the time, but a lot of times we see he withdraws, he leaves, he goes to another city, and continues ministry there. So we see this pattern and then in verse 16, Jesus gives this strange order. It's translated order in the ESV. And he ordered them not to make him known. Not to make him known. The word there is the word epitemao. Epitemao. And the word is used in Luke's gospel. It's, it, this is the word that is used in Luke's gospel when Jesus commands the stormy winds and waves to cease. He's out on the boat and and and, and the waves are, are, are just billowing and, and the wind is just blowing and the boat looks like it's going to sink and Jesus comes and He commands the winds and the waves to cease. This is the word here. He gives this order. He orders the winds and waves to cease. This word is also used in Matthew's Gospel later on, but the person that says these words is Peter. And Peter says this word as he expresses his strong disapproval of Jesus' passion prediction. Jesus says, I'm going, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And Peter says, uh-uh, uh-uh. And, and, and Jesus, and this is where Peter comes and, he, and, he, and he, takes, he takes Jesus and he takes him aside to rebuke him. He takes him aside to rebuke him. Peter is, going, is rebuking Jesus for Jesus saying that they're going to Jerusalem and that he's going to die. And Peter rebukes him. And again, this is where you find where Jesus makes this statement, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, in uh, and, and doing that. You, you don't understand, you don't perceive the things of God. So why does Jesus give them this command? Not to make him known. Is it a command out of fear? Is Jesus afraid that if these people that are being healed... Make it known that somehow the Pharisees are going to find out where Jesus is at. And as he knows that they're getting ready to... They're, they're wanting to assassinate him. They're wanting to kill him. They're wanting to destroy him. And so Jesus wants to keep his, his identity and his location uh, safe. It, 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 is Jesus afraid? Is, is he running scared? Is this order in keeping with the one who claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath? Why this strange order? Don't make me known. Don't let anybody know who did this, who's behind this. Well, verse 17 states the reason for the actions of verse 15 and 16. Verse 15, Jesus is aware of the opposition. We're not not told how he's aware, but he becomes aware of it. He's aware of the opposition, that the Pharisees are out to kill him. He withdraws himself... He moves on, but he continues ministry. Many followed him, and he healed them all. In verse 16, he gives them the order You don't make this known. So, why? What's the reasoning behind it? And this is what Matthew tells us. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah. So, why does Jesus withdraw? I mean, when Jesus faces the opposition. Why does he withdraw? Why does he continue ministry? Why does he make this not to make them known? Because in doing so, he is fulfilling messianic prophecy. Jesus' measured response to opposition and the extreme hatred that is against him provides another proof of his his divinity and his identity as Israel's Messiah. Most people are looking for a Messiah that takes no prisoners. They're looking for a Messiah that's kind of like Peter when the, the mob comes to take Jesus and you get out your sword and you start swinging. And whatever you hit, you hit. You stand toe to toe. You stand eyeball to eyeball. You're ready. I mean, if, if, if you're, not, you're getting ready to throw the first punch. You're getting ready. You're going to mix it up. That's the kind of Messiah that they're looking for. And, and yet, Jesus, when He faces this opposition, instead of standing up straight and throwing back His shoulders and you know, giving them the crazy eyes, Jesus instead withdraws. He withdraws. Verses 17 through 21 is commentary by Matthew. Again, we're told in the, in the earlier section... What Jesus did, and now Matthew is letting us know the reasoning behind it. Why did Jesus behave this way? Why is Jesus acting in this manner? And he's acting in this manner to prove his Messiahship. This is commentary by Matthew, and the passage that he chooses is from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, which is the first servant song of Isaiah. Within that section of Isaiah, if my memory serves me correct, there's are seven, seven servant songs. And these servant songs talk about the coming Messiah. And 42, 1 through 4 are part of the first servant song uh, that Isaiah talks about in explaining to Israel who Messiah is and what Messiah is like. And Matthew says, look here. Jesus did what He did to show you by His actions. In the face of opposition, in the face of extreme hatred, Jesus is responding this way because by responding this way, He is fulfilling Messianic prophecy. He is showing you the ministry of Messiah, and He's demonstrating His Messiahship. So what does verses 18 through 21, which is Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, what do these verses teach us about Jesus, and how do they help us when we face this kind of opposition? Whether it's at work, whether it's from our family. Uh, if you've gotten, if you got the latest, I think I've already, I mentioned this maybe two weeks ago. If you if you've gotten the latest uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs magazine, the lead article says the title. of The lead article is this: When enemy is uh, when family, when family is the enemy, when family is the enemy. And so, what, 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 what do you do? How do you handle it? Well, first of all, we find from verse 18, Messiah, though opposed, so there's this first... Uh, we, we're kind of, These verses kind of take it. we find the opposition, we find the withdrawal, we find the continued ministry. Though opposed by men, was approved by God. Look at verse 18. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen... My beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will pro- proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, now think about the previous section. Think about the hatred. Think about the hostility. Think about again verse fourteen, where you ha- when the die is cast, and, and 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 you have the final rejection of Jesus. Now they haven't put him on the cross yet, but that's that's just th- that's going to happen. They, there's no turning back for these Pharisees. He's, he's a dead man walking. We're going we're to do whatever we've got to do. There's no hope. We're, we're not going to him. We're rejecting him. We're rejecting his message. He's a dead man walking. We're going to find a way to kill him. Now think about all of that. And in the face of that kind of rejection, rejection, by the way, rejection, by the way, that came from those he came to save. John 1. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. The very people He came to deliver, the very people He came to save, the very people that He came to pour out His life for, rejected Him. His own kin, His own flesh and blood, they were all descendants of Abraham, and yet rejected reject it how does he continue moving forward? He's God he's also man. How does he continue moving forward? and, and I think part of what this verse is teaching is how he continues moving forward is this fact that Jesus' identity is grounded in God's approval and not in whether or not he's rejected or liked by people. Jesus' identity is grounded in God's approval of Him, and not in whether or not He's rejected by people. Verses, verse 18 is, is, makes it crystal clear that God's approval of Jesus is certain. It's certain. For the prophecy, look, there's three things that the prophecy that, that He uses shows us about Jesus. It shows, first of all, that Jesus is the elected servant slash son chosen by the Father. He says, Behold my servant. And the word is pas, which can also be translated son. Or, or uh, pis, Either some people pronounce it one way or the other. It can also be translated son. It's not the normal word that's used for son, but it, it, it can be used for son. Uh, it says, Behold my servant or my son whom I have chosen. Jesus is the elect servant or son chosen by the Father. And Jesus, he knows that. At the, at the, at the tender age of 12, when his, his mother, uh, Mary, and, 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 and Joseph come and, and say, We've been wor- where have you been these last couple days? We've been worried about you. you you've worried us. And Jesus says, don't you know, I've got to be about my father's business. I've got to be about my father's business. And he wasn't being disrespectful to, his, to, 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 to Joseph and to, and to his mother. He wasn't being disrespectful to them. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew his, that his identity was grounded in God. His identity was grounded in the fact that, that God had, he, he certainly is God, he's God the Son. But he's, he's also a human being, and he, he was the elected servant son chosen by the Father to reveal the Father. And, and we could spend a lot of time developing that. We don't have the time to do so. But, but, but the first, he, he knows that. He belonged to God. He belongs to the Father. He's been put on the earth to perform a certain task, and he knows that, that, his, that, that, that God is the one who's in control of his life. But not only that, he's the beloved one delighted by the Father. He says, My beloved, or the Greek text literally, my beloved one. My beloved one with whom my soul is well pleased. He's the beloved one delighted by the Father. God delights in him. You hear it at, at his baptism, where, where the heavens literally are, or the skies literally torn like a curtain. That, that's the word picture there. And the, the Spirit of God descends like a dove upon him, and a voice is heard out of the heavens that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His monogenes, His his one of a kind, His unique, His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He, He recognizes that He is the beloved one, delighted by the Father. But also the text tells us that He's the anointed proclaimer of the Father's message. I will put my spirit upon Him. The Spirit of God will be upon him, and he will proclaim this message justice to the Gentiles or to the nations. You could also trans some translations have nations there, and it, it can be either way, but but justice to the nations, in other words that that salvation and acceptability before God is available to all. I know uh, uh, Alexis mentioned uh, the lance's uh, prayer letter and, and in that prayer letter that month they talk about. Uh, some of the things at the end of the prayer letter, they talk about you know, some of the issues and stuff that's going on here in the States. And he talked about a sign that he saw on an Indian church that said, you know, in the Bible, there are no, in the, in the Bible you don't find any white churches, black churches, uh, uh, red churches, yellow churches, but you do find churches that have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then the, the last statement was, Jesus didn't come to save skins. He came to save souls. He didn't come to save skins. He came to save souls. And, and, and that's the justice. That's the hope there that, that, he, that he talks about. And, 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 and as you look at that, notice that, that, that God's approval of, of, of Jesus, notice the presence of the Trinity. You have the Father there. You have the Spirit there. You have the Son there. All in harmony. All together. And, and, and this is where our identity needs to be grounded. We've, Paul tells us that we have been accepted in the beloved. Now, I like being accepted by people. I like pe- I'd rather have people like me than not like me. But I've been accepted by God, and, and if I'm seeking out... If they don't like me because I'm a jerk, that, that, that's one thing. But if they don't like me just because they don't like me, or if they don't like me because I, 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 I want my, my relationship with God, that's okay. I wasn't put on this earth so everybody would like me. I have been accepted by God in Jesus Christ. And that's where our identity has to lie. I don't... I'm not to live on this earth to be a people pleaser. And I'm not to live on this earth in fear of man. I'm to live on this earth recognizing that God... Just as Christ was the elected servant's son... You and I as believers have been elected by God. And we are to serve Him. He delights in us. He delights in us. And and the Spirit of God indwells us. And we're to proclaim the Father's message of reconciliation to all the nations, to all peoples. That it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank. It doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. Both need salvation. Both need deliverance in Jesus Christ. The second truth is this. The withdrawal of Jesus fits the work of Messiah. Look at verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear His voice in the streets. A bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not quench. We see in verse 19 that the work of Messiah is not arrogant, it's not brash, it's not harsh, it's not quarrelsome. That's the He's not going to, you would never see Jesus on a street corner arguing with somebody about the gospel. He's not going to be there. You just don't know what you're talking about, you idiot. Now, there's times Jesus will confront him. Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Do you not know? He'll expose the hypocrisy of their hearts. He'll shoot straight with his words. But he doesn't quarrel. He's not argumentative. Uh, he doesn't get in their faces in the sense that that, that uh, where he's harsh or brash he, he doesn't do that. He, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Jesus is not going to de- defend God by getting into somebody's face and just arguing them down, nailing them to the wall, you know nailing their hide against the wall. He, he doesn't do that. that's not the work of the Messiah. You can't argue anybody into the kingdom of God. It doesn't happen that way. You can't talk about the love of Jesus like this, you know. You need to get saved, you idiot. Trust, Jesus. Trust the love of Jesus, you know. They're thinking, Love? And what are you smoking, you know? What you putting up your nose? Talking to me about love as your face is, you know, all like that? They don't learn the love of Christ that way. You see, the work of Messiah, though, is steeped in compassion. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. When you're broken, he doesn't say, you're broken. Let's just snap it off altogether. Every time I read about the the smoldering wick. You know, when you first blow out a candle, you know, and you kind of see the smoke go up. And sometimes, I was always fun as a kid to do this. You know, you, you wet your fingers and you know do that, and it doesn't burn you, and you think you're pretty cool, you know, because you can, you know, you can touch the fire. You do it with the fire, you know, when, when it's still burning. You hear the sizzle. and you, I'm tough. Uh, you, you know, guys, you impress girls that way. But but you know, you, you know, you do something like that, and you think, hey, you know. But Jesus doesn't. He doesn't put it out. He doesn't put it out. D.A. Carson on this verse wrote this, and and it states so well, quote, He would bring salvation finally to the harassed and helpless. Again, he's he's making that reference from from Matthew 9 and and verse 36. Listen to what it says there. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He would bring salvation finally to the harassed and helpless, as well as to the weary and burdened, 11.28, that we've gone through and looked at before, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest he would bring salvation finally to the harassed and helpless, as well as to the weary and burdened without crushing the weak. What a Savior. That's how our ministry should be. And we find that His withdrawing, I mean, Jesus could have crushed them. Jesus and had every right to do so as God, to crush them, to put those Pharisees in their place. But instead He withdraws. And those who are burdened, those who are harassed, those who are heavy laden, those who are helpless, continue to come and He continues to minister to them. His current ministry of compassion does not just extend to those who follow Him. That we read there in verse 15, And many followed Him and He healed them all. Which indicates and implies that they were sick that they were needy, that they were diseased, that they were helpless, that they were harassed, that they were burdened, that they were overwhelmed, that they were weary, that they were weak. But he still ministers to them, but also to those who reject him. Jesus not only demonstrated compassion to those who followed him and, and healed them, he demonstrated compassion to the Pharisees. He had every right to speak them out of existence at that very moment. But he chose not to. He chose not to. He'd get another opportunity and another opportunity and another opportunity and another opportunity. But lest we think, lest we think that Jesus is some kind of super Santa Claus in the sky, that he just kind of, you know, it's kind of a punching bag. And you can just keep on beating on him and beating on him and beating on him and beating on him. And beating on him and he just kind of smiles and, and grins and takes it and, and moves on. Lest one think that Jesus can be rejected with impunity. The prophecy concludes with the future continued ministry of Messiah Jesus. Look at verse, well, let me start again, verse 19 will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This current ministry of compassion, this current ministry of withdrawal, this current ministry of not dealing with those who harass and reject and spew out hatred against Him and against His followers, this one of withdrawal, this one of compassion, This future that, 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 that current ministry continues until. Until what? Well, the text tells us, we read it. Until He brings justice to victory. Until justice is victorious. And and this occurs during the kingdom. This happens during the kingdom. You know, we hear much today about justice, and, and, and and it forces us to ask the question what is biblical justice? What is biblical justice? And biblical justice is anchored in the character of God. Biblical justice is anchored in the character of God. And, and, and there's three terms we, we want to remember. Three, first of all, that God is just. He's just. Uh, and and, and that, that, that demonstration of that justice is demonstrated by the fact the, that He is no respecter of persons. God doesn't look to say, oh, well, you know what? I, I, could, I could get something out of this person. So I'll treat them a little different. He's no respecter of persons. He, he doesn't treat, one, when it comes to the offer of salvation, when it comes to uh, his willingness to extend mercy, when it comes to his determining of judgment, God is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. The person who li- tries to live a moral life and the person who lives an immoral life, both of them are saved the same way. They're the ba- same way. God doesn't look at you and say, you know what, you just haven't tried enough, so you're going to have to try a little harder, and then I'll reach out and I'll save you. That's not how how God works. God is just, He's no respecter of person, and God is righteous. He always does the right thing. That's That's a simple way of understanding God's righteousness. He always does the right thing. No matter whatever He does, it's right. It's right. And that's a comfort when we're going through difficult times. That's a comfort when we're we're struggling. That's a comfort when when we don't have answers to our questions. God, how can you allow me to be going through something like this? And, And I know that God is compassionate, and I know that God is merciful, but I also know that God is righteous and God is just. I'm not going through this because somehow, someway, though there are consequences to my sins, and though God does also chasten his believers, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, that every time something's going on in my life, that somehow I've, I've you know, I really messed up this time, and so this, this, has got to, this is why, why I'm going through this. Sometimes that's true, but it's not always true. But regardless of what I'm going through, if God is allowing it, it's the right thing. It's what I need in my life at this time. And months ago when I, I made that statement, that's, I, I, I am not smart enough to know what I need. I'm simply not smart enough to know what I need. I need God working in my life each and every day to help shape me and to help form Christ in me. And I don't know what I need today in order for that to happen and i can trust god because he always does the right thing the right thing that doesn't mean it's not a hard thing the right thing can be a hard thing i mean we know that as individuals we know that in teaching our children teaching sometimes doing the right thing is the hard thing it's the hard thing but i can i can and, and that's god's justice God doesn't look at me and and say because I'm this skin color or because I'm this ethnicity or 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 because I've got this background or or because uh, I've I've done this or I've done that, that. Therefore, He's going to treat me differently. It's anchored in the character of God. During the kingdom, everyone is treated equally under the law. And that law is the statutes and rulings of God's moral law. There will be, as the phrase is, as, as Americans that we we aspire to, but it doesn't happen. At times, equal treatment under the law. That's what we aspire to. We aspire. That, that's God's justice. Equal treatment under the law. In the kingdom, it's going to happen. It's not going to We need to. We need to work towards that in our society. We need to work towards that in our culture. But it's not going to happen. Fully, until Christ sits on the throne. And that equality is not a quality of outcome or condition, but rather of standing. Of standing. And because Messiah is just, the nations have hope. Why? Because I don't have to be a Jew in order to be accepted by God. I don't have to be a descendant of Abraham in order to be part of God's people. I don't have to be Jewish in order to reap the benefits of God's covenants. I don't have to be. Now, there are certain covenants that are particularly for the nation of Israel, but all that covenant spillover, there's a lot of covenant spillover for the Gentiles as well. And that's why we hope in it. We hope in the fact that, that, that God, God says, this is the way you come to me. That no man can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That gives me hope. That gives me hope. I don't have to do my. I, I don't have to try and try and try and try and cross my fingers and hope that's good enough for God to accept me. I, I don't have to 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 uh, join a church, though church membership is important. I don't have to to, to do this. or All I have to do is is recognize my need of Christ and and recognize the fact that I'm helpless and that I'm hopeless and that I am at enmity against God. Because if I'm not willing to come to God God's way, I'm opposed to Him. And when I recognize that my hope, as we sing the old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, and righteousness listen I came to Christ the same way that you did there's not a white way there's not a black way there's not a rich way there's not a poor way there's not a Baptist way there's not a a, a Protestant way there's one way and that way is through the blood through the life and death and blood of, of Jesus Christ by his death by his burial by his resurrection that's How we gain access to the Father. That's how we are made acceptable to God. That simple way. The way that I that simple way that that a boy almost that was almost eight years old putting his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And some of you were adults when you came to Christ. But we came to Christ the same way. Because with God. There is no respect of persons. Murderers can come to Christ. People who kill Christians. The most the most uh, uh, rampant Islamist that wants to kill Christians and has can come to Christ those Christians that the video where they were beheaded. Each one of those people that did that, they can come to Christ. Now, I want to hate them. I want to dislike them with a fervor because of their hatred and because of what they've done to my brothers and my sisters. But they can come to Christ. And as you read these stories of those who are martyred, as you read the stories of those who are left behind who are believers, oftentimes you will read, and one of their prayer requests will be, pray for our persecutors that they will come to Christ. That they will come to Christ. Do you have that hope this morning? Do you have that hope that your eternal salvation is secure, not because of what you're doing, but because of who Jesus is? And what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross of Calvary. He died for you. He took God's wrath for you. He took the punishment of sin for your sins on that cross. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Him and what He's done, this, this very moment, you can experience eternal life. That's the hope. That's the hope. That's what the nations, and again you could translate that word nations there in His name. The nations will hope. Jew, Gentile, whatever continent those nations are on. That's what we hope in. We hope in God's justice and His mercy. But for those of us who are believers, after we get to the end of this passage, we'd like to think the conflict is over. But for Jesus, the conflict for the, with the Pharisees will continue. And it will continue until eventually they put Him on a cross. It doesn't, this isn't a way to get the conflict to be over. It isn't a way for the conflict to end up not increasing. In fact, it's, it's going to increase. Their fervor and their desire to see Jesus killed is going to rise as each day passes. But it's not over. And in this context, we saw the proof of Jesus' divinity has been accomplished by means of the written word. It's been accomplished by the power of His spoken word. And it's also been demonstrated by His response to hatred and intense opposition. And just like Jesus, you and I are going to face opposition. We're going to the closer is each day the world is not getting better the culture is not getting more christian friendly it's not now i i hope it does but my hope is not in anything that comes out of washington dc i don't care who becomes president or who's in the white house or who sits on the supreme court it it, it, it depending upon the individual it might it might keep things at bay for a little bit but i'm telling you in my in my lifetime The culture has not gotten better. Now, there's been times when it it, at least it holds it it holds its own. But in my lifetime, the culture has not gotten better. It's gotten worse. And I'm not a pessimist by nature. You know, I'm not I'm not a well I I was going to say negative Nancy, but I'm not identifying as a woman today. So I mean negative Ned. Okay, I'm not a negative Ned. I'm not a negative Ned. I tend to say, okay, here's the problem. Let's see how we can tackle it and get, get it done. Let's see what we got to do to fix this thing and, and, and get it done. I'm not a negative Ned by nature. I like living. I enjoy life. I want to squeeze every good moment I can out of it. I go. That's why I went skydiving. That's why I want to do some other thing. I, I want to I I enjoy life that I, to the fullest that I can enjoy it, to the ability that God has given me. But I'm also a realist. And it's going to be worse for my grandchildren than it is for me. Than it has been for me. It's going to be. So we're going to face opposition. How we respond to that will demonstrate our belief in the claims of Jesus. How we respond to that will demonstrate our belief in the claims of Jesus and to serve like Jesus is going to require us to reach out in compassion to the weak and struggling. To the weak and struggling. And quietly, and that's the hard word for me, because I don't like to go quiet. <laughs> quietly withdraw from those who are, who are persistent in spewing hatred not out of fear not to make my life easier but there's there's no sense if the Lord opens a door great if he gives me an opportunity fine but there's some people whose hearts are not going to the die is cast they're put on this they believe they're put on this earth to make the lives of Christians as miserable as they can make it and it's not going to change. Can God change their heart? He certainly can. Should you pray for it? You certainly should. Should you look for opportunities to minister to them? You certainly should. But we find Jesus here withdrawing. He withdraws. They've already, they're going to kill him. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts about it. They are going to kill him. And he withdraws. He continues ministry but he withdraws from their presence. And that's that's the dangerous thing, that when when we continue to resist the authority of Jesus, that there can come a time when he withdraws. He gave them the desires of their heart, but sent leanness to their souls. He gave them up or over to a reprobate mind. There are times when God says, this is what you want. You can have it. And he withdraws. He withdraws. May God help us as believers to serve like our Savior did. To reach out in compassion to the weak. To reach out to the compassion of the struggling. I know it's hard. There's times you want to throw up your hands. I was speaking with somebody this week that we've spent a lot of time, we've invested a lot of time in. And it seems like nothing's changing, nothing's happening. And, and I uh, was talking to this individual, and I said, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a part of me that just wants to throw up my hands and say, why? This is, you're not listening. You're not listening. Why? Why? And, and, and this person's not hostile or anything like that. And I said, so I'm going to continue to love you. I'm going to continue to pray for you. But I know I can't change your heart. I simply can't change your heart. I can't do it. But I love you and I pray for you. When those individuals are hostile and they're spewing out hatred, you withdraw. You withdraw. May God help us to quietly withdraw from those who persist in spewing hatred as we wait for the day of Messiah's justice. It's coming. It's coming. And even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your goodness to us and for our hope that's in you. We ask, Father, your blessings upon this time. Lord, help us to respond to your word in a way that pleases you. Thank you for your goodness and your graciousness to us. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, as you know, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. I want to invite you today to respond to Jesus. If you don't know Him as your Savior, I'm not asking you how, how hard you're trying. I'm not asking you what member of a church you're at. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you've been confirmed. I'm not asking you if you're trying to live by the Ten Commandments. What I'm asking is, do you know that you have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ? And the Bible tells us that his, for, that his Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are, not might be, not maybe, not could be, not hope to be, but that we are the Spirit of God. If you've come to Christ and, and you, if you have come to Him in faith and asking Him to, to be the Savior of your life, you know that. Now we can can lose that assurance if we're not living and walking with the Lord the way we should be. But my assurance is not based in my... Obedience. My my assurance is based in His obedience. And that's where my hope is. That's where my faith is. That's where my trust is. Not that I'm doing something, but that Christ did it for me. And if I put my faith and trust in Him, He'll save me and He'll change me and my life will be different. And Christ will begin to be formed in me. If you've not done that, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Just cry out to Him today. Ask Christ to save you, and He will. And If you're not certain, or if you've made that, if you've prayed that prayer, and asked Christ, and doesn't have to. There's no particular way you got to say it. But if you've actually, if you're putting your trust and faith in who Christ is, come talk to us, and we'd love to talk to you about. It. If you have questions, we'll, we'll we'll walk you through it. Take our time. For those of us who are believers. Are there are there people that are just I mean, they're spewing out hatred and anger towards you? I mean, you just want to punch them in the face. You just want to give them what for. We need to continue to minister to to the to the weak and to those but there does come a time when we, we do withdraw. We do withdraw. And I don't know when that time is, and I can't tell you when that time is there is a time when when that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. And and I like what we sang this morning when the the verse, I can't remember exactly how it went, basically the idea that when we're going through trials and we're going through difficulties, help us to to see that we're going to get through this. Help us to see that you're with us, but help us not to move away from you during you know what your need is this morning. We're going to ask you to, to take the time to, to uh, deal with the Lord with that as we go to the Lord in a time of silence.